Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Luke 23:39. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Or I like the way King James words it. This man has done nothing amiss. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Today you will be with me in paradise. The second saying, Most assuredly, I say unto you, Today you will be with me in paradise. This saying brings us face to face with the reality that the cross is the great divide. It is here where eternal destinies are decided. It reveals to us that the cross is the place of redemption And it is the place of rejection. Here is revealed to us one of the primary purposes in Jesus coming into the world. Above all else, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. The first statement from the cross is a prayer of intercession. And I believe you will find in the second an answer to the first. He is praying, Father, forgive them in that first statement. And here in the second statement, he is saying to this one, most assuredly, today you will be with me in paradise. One of the things that is absolutely amazing to me as I read and study the gospel and I see the number of times that the Lord Jesus slipped away, the number of times that he found himself in that place of seclusion where he was able to spend time with the Father. I don't know how many times he spent the nights away. But I do know this, that Jesus never spent so much time away 
in private fellowship with the Father that he did not have time to immediately come and speak to the fallen. And that's what he does. After he has spent time speaking, interceding, he then speaks to the fallen, this one on the cross. Now, folks, I believe in having a serious quiet time. I believe every Christian should endeavor to have a good quiet time. Now, it doesn't matter to me if that is at 6 a.m. or 6 p.m. or 12 p.m. or 3 p.m. in the afternoon. It doesn't matter to me what time it is, but I do believe every Christian should seek to have a good, serious, quiet time. That time when you are alone with the Lord, when you speak to Him, and when you hear Him speak to you through His Word. But I do get concerned when I hear individuals talk so much about the deeper life and spending all of this time with the Lord and wanting to be like Jesus and never spending time with the lost. You see, Jesus spent time out there among and with the lost. Why? That's why he came. Wasn't it? For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And I think if you and I are really spending quality time with him, that that will compel us to spend some time out there trying to reach the lost. I normally don't do this, but I have two paragraphs here. Russell Jones. I I was going to try to quote it, and I said, no, I'd mess it up. So I want to read it to you. This passage reveals a picture of his constant warfare, that is, Jesus. He is between two thieves. They're both seeking something from him. The request is a picture of his temptations throughout his life. One asked to be delivered. Save yourself and us. That is... Show the world that you are who you say you are. Take the shortcuts. It's so needless for you to die on the cross. Come down, get the approval of the crowd, and do not consider the spiritual needs at this time. The enemy never gave up. He still seeks a compromise from the people of God. This passage refutes the pollution and confusion of the wicked. It is as if Christ looked through the tunnel of time 
and saw the confusion and the corruption that the enemy would use to turn the hearts from true Christianity. He therefore uses the most unlikely person in all the world to refute the wicked enemy, the wicked the enemy would later use to dilute and defeat Christianity. Now, listen to this. The enemy has introduced many unscriptural doctrines that have been adopted by millions. Now, the salvation of this thief refutes sacramentalism, for he was saved without baptism, the Lord's Supper, the church ceremony, or good works. The doctrine of purgatory is refuted, for this vile sinner was instantaneously transformed into a saint and made fit for paradise apart from his ability to free himself from a single sin. The teaching of universalism was refuted, for only one was saved for all who might have been saved. Further, the idea of, slow, of soul sleeping was refuted. It is clear that the redeemed thief would be in a conscious fellowship with the Savior. Now, a lot of things come up. And all of them can be refuted by this one person being saved at this particular time. Now, we're going to look at two things in this second saying. First, we're going to look in verses 39 through 42 at the appeal of the criminal. The appeal of the criminal. Now, his appeal is in verse 42 where he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. But I want us to take a moment and look at it in its larger context, those things that are surrounding the entire appeal of this criminal. Now, I want to remind us all that this is not a quiet crowd. Have you ever saw those things that were so horrific that all you could do is stand in absolute silence because you were so dumbfounded that it was so beyond belief that you just couldn't get your mind around it. Well, that should have been, in my opinion, what was the react that should have been the reaction when you look at the cross. But that is not the reaction that we actually see. This is not a quiet scene at the cross. This is more like a mob scene at the cross. People are yelling. It is a mob. But I don't believe Jesus is paying any particular attention to all the voices that are being hurled. But then there is one voice that arrests his attention. And it is the appeal of this criminal. It is my opinion that one voice whispered in repentance is louder 
than a hundred voices raised in rebellion. So let's look at the appeal of this criminal. And first I want you to look in verses 39 through 42 and you, I want you to see his character. Now what kind of person are we really, really dealing with? Well, it isn't hard to figure, is it? He's a thief. He is a career criminal. This is a fella who is a malefactor. He is guilty of insurrection. He has spent his time, his health, his effort, and his energy in trying to acquire by any means necessary what's not his. He's a thief, a robber, a criminal. Hmm. They will now wait a minute, Dr. White. You are speaking to the recharge crowd at Dublin First Baptist Church. We are more than the cream. We're the cream of the crop. Well, I know that. Smile. I know that. I know who you are by now. But I want you to hear this. There are multitudes of professed Christians who are as much robbers as this man. Oh, we aren't robbing people of their earthly treasures. But I fear that we are robbing the kingdom of souls because of our lack of commitment to the person of Christ. You see, this man is a robber. He's a thief. He's a scoundrel. He's a good for nothing. That's why he's where he is. Okay, I'll move on. The second thing about the appeal of the criminal, his character, and now his condition. Look at verse 39. In verse 39, there is one word that is used that I think depicts his condition better than a million words that I could say. And that is hanged. It presents his utter helpless condition. He is hanged. He's utterly helpless. Now, what is true of him physically is true of multiplied thousands and thousands spiritually until they know Jesus as their personal Savior. Hanged. If he's hanged, 
There's not any work he can do with his hands to earn the favor of God, is there? He can't get on his knees to beg or to show acts of piety. He can't do anything to earn anything, money. And if he had money, he wouldn't be where he is because he's where he is because he's trying to steal. He's hanged. His condition, he's absolutely, utterly helpless. Now, you and I are not hanged, but if we, as sure as we breathe the free air of God, we probably know someone that is absolutely as utterly helpless spiritually as this man was. Okay, that's enough of the bad news. The third thing I want you to notice about his appeal is his confession. His confession. In verse 40 through 42. Spurgeon said, if you are, if you're nailed to the cross, I do not invite you to be baptized. Makes sense, doesn't it? If you are Tied to a tree, I do not invite you to the Lord's Supper or to join the church. But I do encourage you to make the best confession of the Lord Jesus Christ as your present condition will allow. Well, that's what this man does. Now, Look at the source of his confession. In verse 40, he says, it, the source of his confession is fear. So, well, it's not a good thing. But the other answering said, rebuked him, said, do you not fear God? It's a reverence for the Lord is the source of his confession. Now, he was not at this point in time, an agnostic nor an atheist. He may have been at one time, but he isn't now. Now, he recognizes something that he's never recognized before. And the source of the confession is a fear of God, a reverence for God. Then the subject of his confession is verse 41. We're here because we deserve to be here. That's what he says. In other words, he saw himself as a sinner. He made no excuse. He had no alibi. And until an individual really sees himself as he really is, he will never be saved. Now, this is a news flash. I know you know it, but listen to it. God only saves sinners. Is that right? Absolutely. He just saves sinners. And so we have to come to that point that we recognize that we are helpless sinners. That's where he is. 
He sees himself lost, helpless, sinner. And then the Savior of his confession. Now for this fellow to be where he is, he makes a confession that every lost sinner needs to make. And three things he confesses about the Savior. First, he says he's righteous. He's done nothing amiss. That's what he says. There's no sin in him. He's done nothing wrong, nothing amiss in Christ. That's what both Pilate and Herod said when they were examining Jesus. And they examined him by, by flogging him. And they said, this man has done nothing worthy of death. He's innocent. And that's what this man says. He's done nothing worthy of death. He is innocent. Righteous. And then... He confesses that he would be resurrected. He said, when thou comest. You see, he's looking beyond the present to the time. He's looking beyond the present. Now, you and I live in the present. You can't escape that. We live in the present. But we must have hope. Hope of the resurrection. Right? I mean, if, if we don't have hope of the resurrection, folks, then we might as well just hang it up. Without the resurrection, there is no hope. And this man's confession is that he would be resurrected, that Jesus would resurrect. And then the third thing is he would reign. He says, when you come into your kingdom... Now, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that that man understood about the kingdom. I don't think he had a clue other than there would be a kingdom and it would have a king and the king would be Jesus and he is willingly placing himself as his willing subject in that kingdom. That's his confession. I think it's a Marvelous confession. Well, there's a fourth thing in the appeal of the criminal. And that's his courage. The courage is seen, I think, in those words when he says, Lord, remember me. <clears throat> now, that's in the imperfect tense, I'm told, which means that he has said it more than once. Now, what makes that, why would I say that's courage? Because he's doing something that isn't popular. Look where he is. Look at his surroundings. And for him to say, Lord, remember me. Not going to make him any more popular. I know there are individuals who haven't trusted Christ because they're afraid 
of what others might think of them if they do. This man's not one of them. Now, he is seeing Jesus weak, beaten, ridiculed, and abused. Is that somebody you want to trust? Now think about it. Is that somebody you want to trust? Perhaps if he did a miracle. Well, there is no miracle. But he has courage. And he says, Lord, remember me. I think he's showing some courage when he does that. In spite of what's going on around him, he says, You see, I think he's come to this conclusion. What have I got to lose? Now, I don't mean that to sound that way. But now, when you think about it, folks, let me ask you something. What does a person have to lose by trusting Christ? What? I hear people talk about giving up. What did you? Well, what did you give up? I tell you exactly what I gave up. The only thing I ever gave up was hell. And I didn't give it up. The Lord's blood took it away. I mean, I, so when I think about what give up, no. All, all it was for me is gain and gain and more gain. Oh, well. Now, the second thing, y'all thought I was through, didn't you? Not yet, in a minute. Is the answer of Christ, and that's in verse 43, which is the second saying. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, verily, I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. That's the answer of Christ. Now, Jesus didn't say to him, no, you've waited too late. No, you've wasted your time. No, you're getting <clears throat> exactly what you deserve. Didn't say that at all. But the answer of Christ is spoken first, is spoken to the penitent. Jesus said to him, Today, the word in King James is verily, that means amen, today. Jesus saying, this is my commitment to you, my word, I am as good as my word. If I say it, it's done. Assuredly, this is my confirmation, my commitment to you. You see, Jesus had already said, Him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. And here this man is coming to him saying, Lord, remember me when you come to your kingdom. Now I know there's going to be somebody that's going to say, but this man never said, God be merciful to me a sinner. I think he said it pretty good in what he has already said to the Lord.
Jesus said to him today, Salvation is immediate. It's instantaneous. There is no probationary period. You know, our lady at our office has been with us five years, and every time she says that, I, I keep moving it up. I, I keep saying my probationary period is now six years, you know, and keep moving it up on her. Uh, she's a whiz. I don't want her to know that, so I keep moving that probationary period up on her. Uh, if any of you tell her that, I'll have to deny it. Uh, but there is no probationary period with salvation. It's immediate. When, a, when one calls out to the Lord, he is forgiven and cleansed, and it is immediate. Jesus said, today you will be with me. Salvation is centered in Christ, not in Moses, not in keeping the law, not in John the Baptist or any other preacher, but it is in Christ and in Christ alone. I make a confession. Uh, this March 19th, I will be in the pulpit ministry. I've been in the ministry long, but in the pulpit ministry, 52 years. Now, that's a day or two. And in my first church, wonderful people. God has a special reward for them. Uh, I preached salvation by grace and got people saved. And then, guess what I did? I preached law. You got to do this got to do this. Law, 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 law. Uh, a lot of it was ignorance, but that's no excuse. The law doesn't get us saved, and the law doesn't keep us saved. It's all grace. Grace that saves and keeps saved. And Jesus said today, you will be with me. And then the answer of Christ specified a place. Today you will be with me in paradise. That word paradise is used three times in the New Testament. And as it is used here, it's used for the abiding place of God. Now, I have no idea, folks, what all is involved in heaven and what, and what about this paradise. And I know theologians can have a long discussion and debate about it, but I want to tell you this. If Jesus is there, that's enough. And that's where he said, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. And that ought to be enough. Amen. Now, I've heard some folks say they're going to be like, like the dying thief, and I want to say which one. Which one? Because there are two of them. And someone will say, well, this thief got saved at his last opportunity. And I said, no, he didn't get saved at his last opportunity. I believe he got saved at his first opportunity. Nothing indicates that he had ever heard or ever encountered Jesus until he's on the cross. 
Oh, he may have. But nothing indicates from the scriptures. I don't think there's I don't think you'll encounter anyone that's willing to sign a paper that says, I'm willing to go on record as waiting until my last opportunity before I get saved. Because nobody knows when that last opportunity might be. Might die before that comes along. You see, so why would anybody be wanting to wait to get really involved in their kingdom work? And he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him today, you'll be with me in paradise. Father, thank you for the privilege of being able.